It's Dear Instructional Designer, Episode 11. Hey everyone, welcome to Dear Instructional Designer, the show about the instructional design journey. I'm your host, Kristen Anthony. Today's interview is with James Finder, an ID I met on the Instructional Design subreddit. You thought I was going to say Twitter, didn't you? Admit it. James is actually our first ID entrepreneur on the show, so I'm super excited to bring you his perspective for anyone who is thinking about striking out there on their own and starting a business around consulting on ID and or developing e-learning solutions. Without further ado, here's my conversation with James. All right. So, James, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you became an instructional designer? Well, uh, my uh, journey kind of started in 2009 when I left the United States to go to South Korea to become an English language trainer. Um, and then in 2012, I started a distance program online through the University of Wyoming. And uh, since 2012, I've really been working in storyline um, and learning adult learning theory. And uh, in about 2014, I returned back to the United States. And then 2015, I started my own company, uh, uh, Promethean Learning Experience Design. So, James, I'm actually super excited to have you on the show because you are our first ID entrepreneur. And Thanks. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that. How did you decide to strike out on your own and start a company? Um, well, I, I really just uh, I felt like the opportunity was right. Um, I live in Colorado, and uh, one of the industries that's really blowing up right now is cannabis. And uh, I decided um, it would be an, a, a good idea to develop a, uh, you know, partner with a, uh, a B2C organization, <clears throat> business to consumer organization that already was doing cannabis training and sort of uh, turn it on its head a little bit, um, go B2B, uh, a different channel. And because what's happening is the industry is growing so fast that um, there's going to be a need for training and compliance and while organizations may not realize it right now, um, with uh, there's been a lot of growth in the industry. Um, you've you've seen in 2016, you know, uh, like Bernie Sanders is talking about, you know, the decriminalization of cannabis. Um, uh, California's put it on a uh, on a referendum for recreational uses. I mean, it's already medical in 23 states. Um, so I felt like it was a really ripe opportunity for, for training and development. Um, that's not really been, um, ex, uh, it's not really been, um, uh, saturated yet. You know, there's a lot of companies that do a lot of things focused on, um, you know, pharmaceutical training or, or sales training. There's a, there's a lot of ways that those, um, that we can kind of come together, bring those two spheres of influence together and, um, you know, develop really good training for, uh, you know, a product that's coming to market and, you know, it is producing a high amount of revenue. That is a really cool story. So you found this niche and this need and it's really awesome and, just super inspiring. So what would you say are some of the best parts of your job? 
Um, well, I would say some of the best parts of my job are sort of hunting for business. Um, I enjoy, I, I enjoy doing that. Um, I enjoy working with a wide variety of clients, um, a lot of different personalities. It's, it's interesting. Um, and, uh, I, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of positives to the, to the job. Um, you know, getting to be my own boss and sort of figure out what I want to do, um, in terms of what projects I want to work on and um, sort of really trying to, you know, develop myself. It's really forced me to um, develop myself uh, in a really new way um, in terms of, you know, like social media, you know, really focusing on developing a digital brand um, online and, um, you know, that, that kind of channel, it's really important to me. So you talked about that Part of the part that you enjoy is actually going after clients. How do you do that? Is it is it mostly just social media and your? Um, it's social. It's um, you know, through you know, job postings. You see, um, I I think um, you know, one way uh is you see um a lot of uh organizations that do um, you know. That use LinkedIn or you know for for storyline users, e-learning heroes for Captivate. I'm I'm sure there's a, a pretty thriving community for the Captivate community. I'm just not familiar with it. Um, so I, I I mean there's uh there's a lot of resources to find clients, but also it's important to really create content um, because there's a lot of independent instructional designers. Uh, currently on the market, you know, if you look on LinkedIn, there's quite a few. So how do you differentiate yourself? Um, and you do that by creating, you know, digital content, um, by, and that raises, you know, does a whole plethora of things, you know, by raising your SEO or, and, you know, sort of you sort of trend to the top in terms of what's, what's trending in social media because more people are seeing it. You know, so that's sort of how I get clients is, you know, people reach out to me because they've seen my content or they've seen my website or I've actively gone and networked at, at uh, professional events, you know, both in the training industry, um, the cannabis industry, uh, really trying to figure out, you know, what to, um, you know, how to meet new people that are trying to, you know, um, start new things and be entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's all really, really excellent advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, do you find that the projects you create or the content that you create, do you do you try to focus it or do you try to create content that is more general? I'm sort of I'm sort of content agnostic. I, I, I try to feel like what I mean what's important is, you know, where we're trying to figure out I mean training really breaks down to you know three things it breaks down to what's our terminal learning objective what are our kpis and how much budget do we have right that's really what training boils down to and you know for i and and that doesn't i mean that that goes through content regardless of of what space you're really working in so i think it makes sense to be you know, more content agnostic 
And you know, you're that's part of the reason you work with a subject matter expert. That's that's their role on the team mm-hmm. is to be, you know, the expert on whatever content you're working on. You know, so to I, I think it makes sense to be more content agnostic like I said, content agnostic rather than focusing on a particular niche. Um as a as an independent, um, obviously, like you know, in my other venture for for cannabis, um, I really want to be focusing on people who are, you know, in the cannabis industry who are looking for compliance and 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 sales training. But I mean, it really depends. You know what I mean? It, it depends on what hat I'm wearing at the time. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, speaking of the the cannabis field, do you find that there's anything that's unique about that context or, or other you said other you said unique yeah um well i think it's uh it's a very it's a very um new field and but i mean you're seeing a lot of um you've seen uh, you've seen a lot of polls that that show um you know that there's a significant a significant pop percentage of the population that support recreational cannabis um, so th- if that's if that's sort of where we're trending as a nation, um, and you're seeing, you know, there's a lot of market factors, um, you know, to for the cannabis industry to grow. So um, I think yeah, it presents a lot of unique opportunity as well as a lot of unique challenge mm-hmm. uh, because it is still a federally illegal substance, but. You know, state by state, you're seeing, like I said, 23 states have legalized it in some form medically and five states in a territory have, no, four states in a territory have legalized it recreationally. So, um, I mean, you, you're kind of, we're getting to the point where um, I, I think once it gets to the court system, um, and I think there's going to be a case probably in the near future, I would imagine within the next, within the next probably two to three years that's going to really much like gay marriage um you know that's sort of going to turn the tide for you know cannabis um it's going to be like a state's rights versus a federal rights issue and um i think we're like we're going to see some kind i I think you're going to see a popular vote that that sees you know a descheduling of cannabis from schedule one to a you know, not where it's at now, (laughs) you know? Um, what methods or skills have you developed to help you do your job better? Um, well, the first, I mean, really the big thing is I'd recommend, um, anybody go check out my website, www.getplexed.com. And you guys can see like my portfolio, uh, and that's really what I've done to develop my skill set is, you know, developing the work in my portfolio through the storyline challenges on e-learning heroes. Um, you know, people like David Anderson, Melissa Milloway, Jeff Kortenbosch. I mean, the list goes on for for people to follow on Twitter who are are doing some really neat stuff. Uh, you know, for the you know for the articulate community. And I, I think that's one way to really hone your skill is, is use the software as much as you can, whether it's articulate or captivate or, or whatever it is, you know, constantly be practicing your craft, try to, you know, do, um, 
you know, try to figure out a way to get better at it or just enjoy using the program because the less it, the, the more you enjoy using it, the less it seems like a job. Yeah. So two follow-up questions from that. The first one being why storyline and the second one being why the e-learning heroes challenges? Why not create your own challenges? Um, Captivate versus storyline. Um, I mean, there's a, I, I, I don't like the Adobe suite in general. Um, so Captivate kind of turns me off. Um, I think if you're, if you've grown up with the Adobe suite, so to say, if you're Photoshop literate, if you're, um, you know, InDesign literate, then Captivate makes a lot of sense. It makes, you know, and it's, it's got a lot of really great features. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's got a lot of really powerful authoring ability, but, um, I just found articulate more uh, articulate storyline just much easier to use, um, and I and I found the learning curve much much smaller for me um, to develop you know much higher quality content. I felt like the QA uh, QC process as well in articulate storyline was a lot better than in uh, Captivate. You know, just sort of playing you know being able to manipulate triggers and and manipulate layers. Uh, was a lot easier in storyline than it ever was in Captivate for me. So, um, and uh, why e-learning heroes versus creating my own? Um, well, it's uh, it's it's easier if um, someone gives you a topic to design on. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean, there's there's right now there's almost I think at this challenge we're at challenge 129. So there's over a hundred you know, 120 challenges available, you know, for people to try. They're always open. You can always submit new content. Um, so it's, it's really just, you know, when or how do you want to sharpen your skills or what do you want to practice? And you can download other people's source files and, you know, edit it, play with it yourself. You know, for example, I created a, a choose your own paths, um, you know, template based on, you know, using a lot of free stuff from, you know, a lot of the freebies from Articulate, eLearning Heroes. So I just decided to give it away for free. You know, that's sort of what, you know, I, I used it from a lot of free stuff that was available. So there's no reason for me to not give it away for free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I know that you blogged a little about this, but where do you find community? Particularly as a solopreneur, I mean, where do you find people to ask questions, help you out, things like that? Well, I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges of being a solopreneur is, and and uh, it's definitely something um, that I, uh, it, it's a challenge I face every day, you know, sort of trying to, you know, strike out on your own and, and not having anybody in an office to, um, you know, touch base with my my community is primarily via slack mm -hmm. and um you know the online network of independent learning professionals on linkedin you know so that would be that that's that's the real where my community is um and to say it's it, it's uh easy would be would be uh untruthful um, it, it is difficult, you know, being a solopreneur and trying, you know, figuring out how you're going to do what you're going to do by yourself. And there is no, there is no one else, you know, so, um, you know, 
that that works for some people and it, and it doesn't work for for others um and that that's a you know i have debate that or a question you need to be able to answer you know if you want to be if you can handle that you know yeah yeah that's uh that's really good so what kind of a model or process do you use when you're kicking off a project with a client and why does that work for you um well i use a project scope questionnaire that you can also get on my website getplex.com um you uh that's how i that's how i scope projects um you know if you know i, I want to know what's our what's our 30,000 foot view what's our terminal learning objective what are our what are what our our metrics what are we going to be measuring and you know what are the resources that we already have what are the resources that we need to get and who's going to be my main point of contact mm -hmm. that's going to be like those are the most important things to sort of figure out um you know having that having that that critical needs assessment uh is is the most important part of any any training project is is the analysis and needs assessment doing that um, with the client, so you develop, so you don't waste time in the uh, design and development stage, you know. And, and depending on how the um, and how the client works, you're whether you're working in a waterfall method, which is which what some people would call Addy, or um, you know, or is familiar as Addy, the waterfall method, or whether you're doing successive um, approximate, you know, you're doing the SAM model where you're constantly developing new prototypes. I mean, it's really going to change from, you know, client to client, but it's, it's all really the same, the same process. It just mm -hmm. is a different methodology, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whether you're, whether you're just completing the needs analysis and then going into design and then going into development, or if you're doing things, uh, you know, simultaneously while you're doing the needs assessment, you're trying to build a, you know, an MVP, a minimum viable product. And I mean, it just depends on what the organization wants, how they want to develop it. Each organization is different. Do you find that one of those tends to work better for you? I mean, it really depends on the client um, and, and how, how they feel comfortable working mm -hmm. and, and it, it's really about putting the customer first and putting the client first and how are um, you, they've brought me on to, you know, for training knowledge and because I understand how to create learning assets and I understand how to create, um, you know, adult learning theory appropriate content. However, you know, at the end of the day, it's what the client wants. So we need to be able to, you know, negotiate um, up front with, uh, you know, like a project scope questionnaire, sort of what do we need to do, break it down to brass tacks, kind of how are we going to do that and whether, um, whether and how management wants to talk about that if they want to do, if they want to make sure they have a, a plan in place um, and they're, you know, they've crossed all their T's and dotted all their I's. Some, some organizations like to do that. They like to be a hundred percent sure. Whereas other organizations are willing to put out, you know, a minimum viable product and, and patch, you know, do day one patches. So, I mean, it, it depends from organization to organization. And what do you find are some of your biggest challenges working with SMEs? Uh, some of the biggest challenges are um, that that everything they know is not necessarily what's important. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it, it's about scope creep. It's you know getting back to what are the terminal learning objectives, how are we measuring those objectives, and what's our budget, right? So how like how do we how do we develop training that that meets all of those criteria set up by the client? you know, with our subject matter expert. So making sure those are, are clear in the beginning um, makes it makes it easier to deal with. And, and of course, there's going to be, you know, bumps along the road, um, you know, depending on what happens. But what I find most effective is uh, really trying to understand where they're coming from and and asking them, how does this relate to what we've addressed as the terminal learning objective? Why is this information important to that? And if it is, if you can make a case to me as a subject matter expert that this is important to our terminal learning objective, then it's something that I'll bring to you know, um, you know, the team and we'll talk about it and, and hash it out. But if you can't come up with a case that this makes you know sense to the terminal learning objective and you can't you know, give me a case that I can buy into, then I'm going to have to respectfully push back on that. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, pushing back. How does that work for you? Um, I mean, it's always, it's always a, a, a process, you know, and, and I think the most important part, um, you know, when that happens is, you know, doing the legwork in the beginning, establishing good, a good relationship with the subject matter expert from kickoff. You know, because I don't think there's going to be when there's issues of pushback when, you know, we're developing, we're sort of gotten past the needs analysis and we're in the design and development phases. That's where the pushback's going to come in. So when you're, when you're in that assessment phase, you're in that analysis phase, it's making sure you develop a, a relationship with, you know, the subject matter expert or, and, and as well as, you know, the pertinent stakeholders, how are we going to develop training that's applicable to the stakeholders who are actually going to be developed or who are actually going to be taking the training? You know, it, that, that's, that's the key. You know, it's, it, it's not necessarily about um, developing content that, that, is everything that the subject matter expert knows. It's more about how are we going to, how do we develop competency based, you know, objectives? Can they do this? Can a learner, you know, through an assessment that's beyond a level one or a level two on Bloom's taxonomy, you know, we're looking at like a level three application or a level four type of question. Can we, can we, can they answer the question? Can they answer a question like that? It's more than regurgitation. How does this, how does this information apply to the skill that we've identified as the terminal learning objective? And, and what do you find works for you in building relationships and trust whenever you're working with a new organization or with a new SME? Well, I think, um, I think it's, one big thing is uh, being flexible with, uh, you know, project management technique and, and being flexible with what your subject matter expert is comfortable with and, uh, you know, giving them, giving them opportunities. For example, I, I typically use a, pro, uh, a project management tool called Asana 
Um, but I found that some subject matter experts don't like Asana. They prefer a different tool and or project managers prefer a different tool. So it's all about being flexible um, and being able to, you know, really adapt to what the project, what's going to make workflow easiest um, for but for all parties involved, the project manager, the subject matter expert, as well as, you know, myself as the instructional designer. So, uh, James, again, you're you're awesome because you have this business perspective to offer. What do you uh, what works out in terms of the project management? Do you find that you are often the project manager or do you uh, do the organizations that you work with? often have a project manager that you can go to when things are getting off track. Yeah, both, both. And uh, another question that I think would probably be very interesting to anybody listening to this is um, what is your process for the contract and getting that initial business relationship going? Um, I mean, it's, it, it's a lot of legwork. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, really working hard on, on creating content that that's applicable following following people in the industry already there. I mean, again, there's, I, I would highly recommend people check out the blog uh, that I write. I mean, I talk a lot about the people that I follow and um, you know, the resources where I get my, you know, my inspiration, who I'm following, how I'm getting my clients, where, like where I'm finding that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's really about, it's really about, you know, developing, uh, you know, an online presence um, being helpful in the community and not trying to not yelling to sell. It's really just about trying to understand and and get better at, at what what you do. And do you find that the contract process is difficult? Do you have any advice? Oh yeah, certainly. Um, I, re- I recently wrote a blog post about this. I'd highly recommend uh, you know people you know, check out that blog post about the, you know, the big things that I took away from it where there's, you know, several large red flags. Um, number one, uh, don't start working until you get paid. Don't matter what, it doesn't matter what the deadline is. Um, do not start working until you get paid. Um, I'm currently, uh, I, I, I currently, you know, working on figuring out how to make sure that doesn't happen to me again. You know, like yeah. making sure my contract language and my independent contracts and my master services agreements are, are very clear about, you know, uh, contract language, how, you know, kick off that we, I won't start until X amount, uh, you know, you know, whatever milestones need to be met and, and not budging from that, um, desperately. I, and I mean, if you check out the last blog post I wrote, I, I really talk a lot about that, um, you know, sort of what happens uh, when you sort of try to chase that client, you know, the lowest dollar client, uh, there's a lot of red flags. Um, and, and when you're desperate, you're, you're willing to sort of, you know, blinder, put the blinders on and, and not see the red flags uh, because you're sort of promised to, to be getting money or, you know, you you see that pot of gold at, at the end of the rainbow and, but if your contract language isn't clear and things aren't, you know, things aren't done the way that you're, if you have a bad feeling about it, you know, then, then don't pursue it. I mean, a bad client is worse than no client uh, it, it, because it's more because you, you know, you're, you're missing out on, on getting paid for work you've already done. 
Yeah, awesome. We will definitely, definitely link to that. Thank you so much for sharing. So um, do you ever walk into a project and try to do something new? And how does that work for you? I mean, it really depends on on the client. Um, if if uh, you know, major stakeholders feel that you know that they're sort of that they're looking for a change, that they're ready for a change, um, then then yeah, then let's we'll we'll go ahead and and try to implement a new process. But you know, sort of it goes through that analysis phase. You know, once you're doing that needs assessment, you get a feel pretty quickly for. For where the you know management stakeholders are, and if you want to, there are there are times where developing a new process or um, you know developing a new standard operating procedure, it, you know, makes sense. And there are times where you know it, it you know you know as an instructional designer that it's it's you know maybe not the best, um, but that's what management wants. And, and it, it, you have to pick your battles and, and if it, it really, it really depends on whether you, how hard you want to push on it. And it really depends on, you know, like, again, it, it depends on client to client and, you know, it, you know, work, one of the, one of the great things about being a, a contractor is if, if a client, if you try to, you know, implement a new idea and, and you get a negative response, you know, um, at the end of the contract, there's nothing holding you with that company. It's it's thank you for your time. I appreciate the time we we have together, and and good luck finding your next uh, instructional designer. We'll on your next project. There's there's no hard feelings. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it, if that happens, you, you're not in that position where you know that there's, um, uh, you know, sort of the. I don't. I don't know how to explain it. Um, that sort of you've been brought. You've been brought on as a contractor. You've been brought on because of your skill, right? Right. You've been brought on because you bring a necessary skill to the project that's required. When the project ends, that's when your contract ends. And like again, that works for some people, and it doesn't work for other people. And and again, if you can make that, if that's okay with whomever then uh you that's something you got you have to work with you know do you find that you're working on modules that you know maybe take an hour or two hours at a sitting or something that is supposed to be really quick and on demand and in the moment well that i i I feel that 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 sort of one hour, two hour e-learning really is ineffective. Um, I, I know from personal experience, uh, when you have a PowerPoint on Rails that takes 45 minutes and all I have to do is take an assessment, I'll walk away or do something else. I'm not, I just need to prove I've, I've passed the test. I, I'm sure people have taken driving school, you know, online. And how many people it's a, it's a required 90 minute or two hour class. I'm not really sure, but how many people do you think are actually spending two hours on that, on that online course, Mm -hmm. you know? So I, and it, it doesn't make sense, you know, especially again for, for, for in the corporate space, you know, how, why, 
why do we or are why are we designing training um that's that is uh you know one to four hours where i'm a where it's it, it's lecture based and i and i have a real problem like i i mean carl wyman talks about problem-based learning and how you know stanford it, like he's really pushing for the elimination of lecture-based um study and that the massively online open course they took the worst parts of the university uh, the the classroom lecture and put it online. That's not what learning is about. It's about application of knowledge, and and how do I apply said information that I'm learning to whatever task or competency I need to to be uh, to be assessed on, right? So if I need if it take if it requires if it requires an hour. For that kind of competency-based learning, I'm I'm wondering why is it taking an hour? What are the sub-objectives to your terminal learning objective? Right? How can we create more manageable time? You've seen, I mean, you've seen really that trend towards uh, with Open Sesame, with Grovo. I mean, their videos and Linda. I mean, your their videos are typically one to five minutes. You know that's that's where that's where it's going. We as a as a professional, um, I don't believe have one to four hours during a day that we can sit down and and just take up that amount of time where we have to be fully engaged. I can be engaged for ten to fifteen minutes, and then I have to go to a meeting, or then I have to work on a project that's you know mission critical to our business. That makes a lot more sense. You know, so creating those just-in-time job aids and creating learning that's applicable to a specific situation. How do we apply knowledge to things we do in the workplace every day or things we do at school every day? It's not about extraneous information that's interesting, and, but it doesn't help us achieve the task that we have set at hand. Now, if you're looking to do that, there are opportunities to do that independently, right? But I think for training for competency-based education, um, there need there needs to be if it's longer than 15 minutes, your content is too long. I believe, you know, um, I don't think a module should be much longer than 15 minutes. You know, um, a maximum of about 20 slides. I think that's really where we're at, you know, for for where I think is manageable, you know, 20 slides, you figure, you know, 30 seconds a slide, it's about 10 minutes of learning, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of learning is about what someone's going to be able to do um, when they're sitting down at their computer. The first thing when they get to their desk at their office is, you know, instead of checking their email, they can do a training program. Right. And then they've done that. They can check that off the list and then they get to, you know, get to their email. They learn product knowledge or whatever that material was. But if I if I told someone, I said, hey, listen, when you walk into the office, you have a four hour meeting until lunch. They they wouldn't want to come to the office. 
you know, so it's about making it digestible, making it so that it's able to be multi, uh, you know, able to be fit into uh, a schedule that's already packed with a lot of, you know, additional responsibilities. So when you come into a project, you come into it with this idea that we're going to create something smaller and more manageable. Yeah, for sure. Certainly. I highly advocate that. Uh, with any project and if there's a lot of pushback from management about that um, as an independent con- like I said I mentioned as an independent contractor um, if there is a lot of pushback about that um, I mean we we have a conversation but but um, I it, it it throws up a red flag for me mm-hmm. uh, if if um, a stakeholder feels that uh, you know, training should be an hour to four hours long or, or whatever. And to expect an employee to, to, you know, a team member to do that is just unrealistic. Um, unless, unless that's what you're paying them to do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I don't, um, so I, I, I feel that, uh, developing, you know, it, it that is a, a big piece that we want hour long content. Um, it's something I probably don't want to work on. So um, what do you look for in an organization that you do want to work with? Um, I definitely look for people who are, who are looking to, um, who are looking beyond, um, we're looking to sort of advance. Uh, I don't want to say be disruptive, but I, I think they've rec- I want to look for clients who recognize that there's a possibility that they're doing something um, in an old school way and that they're open to learning about, you know, trying something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if it fails, that's okay. Um, and, um, you know, we can always reassess, you know what I mean? And it, while it may be, you know, and, and maybe we're, you know, if, if there is a failure, um, you know, between uh, a client and, and an or, you know, in a contracting organization, it may not be because, you know, the contracting organization is a bad contracting organization. It just may be a poor fit of culture between the two organizations and, um, that that's something that that happens. So you, you really try to, you know, like I said, during the assessment and, you know, needs analysis, you really try to figure that out, you know, beforehand. If if you don't feel there is a, you know, check for the red flags, if you don't feel comfortable doing it or you don't feel comfortable working with the team, you know, you know, you know make your concerns known. Um if you are, you know, if you are working, at, you know, if you're working for the sale Right, but if you're an individual contributor on a team, which I would imagine a lot of you know the freelance instructional designers are, um, if you are an independent like you know individual contributor, if you have concerns, you bring them to your project manager, and if your project manager or whoever says, "Yeah, we'll bring it up," and they bring it up, and there's no and there's no resolution, like that's what it is. You have to you have to, that's what the client wants. You know, you really got to live by Jeff Bezos and it's always client focused. It's always customer centric. You know, it's, it's what the client wants. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, Amazon's a multi-billion dollar company and do you know they lose money every year? Why? Because 
they constantly are pouring money back into the business to make it better for consumers, right? Because it's always customer focused. So it's the same thing, right? So you make your concerns known, but at the end of the day, if you're an individual kind of contributor and you're working for an organization um, and you have a contract, you're going to fulfill that contract because they are your client. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So that actually was a really nice segue into another question. Do you, um, do you try to educate clients on learning experience design or do you try to use their language? Um, I, I mean, it really, I, I, I definitely try to use, you know, I try to educate. I mean, that's a big part of that's, I mean, that's a part of, you know, giving away content for free. There's, there is no content hoarding. I don't think, I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense to, you know, make content freely available you know, for people. And when they realize how difficult it is, they realize the value add you're bringing to the, to the table. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and you know, I, I I think I really try to educate people try. And I mean, it, it, it is difficult sometimes, but I mean, I think, um, you know, being able to, to listen and, and, and really, like, again, it's not about yelling to sell. It's about listening to understand what, what the client or customer needs. And that's, that's the key. And it goes back again to the, the needs analysis and doing that analysis phase. That's where you're going to figure out all the stuff about your, your customer and, and whether it's going to, you know, make sense to work together or not, you know, and, and that's, and that's where, you know, you, you, you develop a retainer fee to do the, the needs analysis and, you know, you say, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And, and then we'll, we'll, re- we'll circle up and we'll say, do we want to move forward? How do you feel about this? Mm-hmm. And then, and then move forward from there. Awesome. Do you find that you're able to get a lot of repeat business from your clients? Um, yeah, I believe so. I mean, it, it, I mean, I am a new business and I mean, I have been around for 11 months and typically projects take, you know, a couple of months. Um, but yeah, typically it's, I mean, the, the nature of the business is I started in the third quarter of last year. So I, I really caught it at the tail end and then fourth quarter it's dead. So, um, you know, that December, the holiday period from, you know, I started my business in July and then, so I was busy August, uh, July, August, September, October. And then once the Thanksgiving holiday hit, I was, I mean, it was a lull. So, um, I mean, and now we're just sort of swinging out of that, you know, that six month period out of you know, out of the holidays, budgets are being replenished for the new fiscal year. And uh, now you're starting to see business sort of come in. Oh, that's interesting information to think about the cycle of business. I don't think I ever thought about that before. So James, from your POV, what is one skill that every new BID should develop? One skill that every new ID could develop? Um, understand uh understand blooms how to apply blooms okay and uh what would be your advice on on doing that 
Um, I mean, really think about think about going beyond the first and second level of blooms. How can we? How can you, as an instructional designer, go into that? You know, the third, fourth, fifth. You know, that sort of the application analysis synthesis. Um, how how can you get out of the first and second level and get to that application analysis piece? How do you develop training to really apply the knowledge um, that you're trying to get across? Uh, in the training. It's not about regurg regurgitation doesn't mean anything. It's about application and analysis. Awesome. So, James, are you ready? It's time for the rapid fire questions. Okay. All right. So, instructional designer or learning experience designer? Learning experience designer. What is one piece of advice you wish someone had given you as a beginner ID? Save more money. Uh, so what books, blogs, or research are you reading lately? Uh, I'm following uh, a sales guy. His name's uh, at Keenan. Okay. One thing that should be in every ID's portfolio? Um, an interaction more complex than drag and drop. One piece of Client consultation wisdom. Call them more than three times. Uh, favorite project you're working on right now? Uh, probably this cannabis thing. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, last but not least, where can people catch up with you? Uh, my website, www.getplex.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, James Finder, and you can find me on Twitter, uh, at GetPlex Design. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. Yeah, for sure. 110. It was great getting to know James a little bit more, and I hope you had a great time listening. I thought it was so cool that he shared with us the target market he's exploring and how he's approaching that. I also found it really super valuable that he talked about going to industry conferences not just learning and development conferences, as a way to build relationships with new clients. I think that's really valuable insight. Links to James's website and Twitter in the show notes for this episode. And just as a side note, I want to apologize for some of the audio glitches. I am actively working on making audio better for the show. As always, I want to encourage you to strike up a conversation with us. Any lingering questions? You can reach James on Twitter at GetPlexDesign and me at at AnthChris. And hey folks, if you've got a second, please leave a review on iTunes. Let me know what you're thinking about the show and help other IDs find the show as well. Links to the iTunes page in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Take care.